what's going on everybody welcome to episode 126 of the dfs dose podcast your fix of daily fantasy sports information strategy and analysis i'm your host ben hover joined as i always am by joey carrion and on today's show we are going to be previewing the three game saturday slate on DraftKings part one of wild card weekend we're going to take a look at some of these slate specifics go position by position talk through our favorite plays and strategies to implement this weekend and of course We'll close out the show with our tournament takeaways. If you guys want to hear our thoughts on the Sunday three-game slate, we have a dedicated podcast episode on that that'll be coming out today on Thursday, same day that you are hearing this. In fact, it's probably already in your podcast feed, so check that out so you can stay up to date on every which way you can make a profit on DK this weekend. Before we get into everything for this slate, though, Joey, can you tell the people how they can support the podcast? You can help support the DFS Dose by following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. That's where we'll tweet out links to the podcast that Ben is referring to. That's where we'll tweet out any content that we may put out during the week and everything that we do gets just put on our Twitter. So make sure you are following us over there. Another way you can help support us is by making sure you are subscribed to the podcast. So if you're listening to this right now and you're not subscribed, it's a button right under the title of the episode. It's free to subscribe. It helps us out a lot, helps us reach new listeners. So make sure you do that. Another way you can help support us is by uh, going over to YouTube on your phone, your little YouTube app, search up the DFS dose in the search bar and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're at 158 subscribers. uh, So it would mean a lot if you guys would go over there and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And then lastly, you could join our free Discord chat, which is linked down below in the description. We'll be talking about these two, three game slates in there. So make sure you join if you want to have a profitable wild card weekend. Absolutely. Now let's dive into the first of the three game slates that we have for the weekend, starting off with Saturday. Our first game is at 1.05 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Bills will be hosting the Colts. Buffalo is favored by 6.5 in this game, and it has by far the highest total on the slate, 51, six points higher than the next uh, highest totaled game on the slate. And the Bills, unsurprisingly, have the highest implied team total on the slate at 28.75. In the middle game, the afternoon game, we've got the Rams at Seattle. This game is the lowest totaled game on the slate, 42.5. The Seahawks are favored by 3.5 points and then finally for the late game we've got Tampa Bay on the road in Washington assuming that Washington is still standing uh, on Saturday 45 point total Bucks have the second highest implied team total 26 and a half (laughs) they're favored by I just (laughs) I just realized you threw that in there sorry (laughs) it's not (laughs) I wasn't I wasn't looking for a laugh but thank you um they, they favored uh, the goddamn okay. The Bucks are favored by eight over Washington, who has the lowest team total on the slate, eighteen and a half. Joey, what stands out to you from a Vegas perspective on this three-game Saturday slate? <laughs> yeah, so from a Vegas perspective, I think they're expecting these games to be lower scoring, especially the Seahawks and Rams game, and that is a pretty ugly game from a real-life perspective too. I think. Uh, so won't make for many good DFS plays, I don't think. The Washington and Tampa Bay game, it's kind of in the same boat for me, just like the Seahawks game. I don't, I don't think there's going to be many good plays from that game besides maybe some of the Bucks wide receivers. 
And then the most interesting game from a real life and a fantasy perspective is obviously the Bills-Colts game. I think that game has the most talent. I think that game has the highest shootout potential. And it's going to be a pretty chalky three-game slate. Everybody's going to condense onto the Bills in terms of ownership. And I would expect the Bills to be the highest scoring team this weekend, just like Vegas is. So Yeah, not, nothing too crazy about these lines. The one thing that stands out to me is like the Rams line. So they're only three and a half point underdogs to Seattle, which makes me think that it's more likely to be Jared Goff playing in this game, although we don't have any solid information on that. He was limited on Tuesday's practice. The 19 and a half point implied team total makes me think that they're just expecting the Rams to not score a lot of points regardless of who the quarterback is. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And They've played two times since week 10, the Rams and the Seahawks have, and they haven't been, you know, that great of games, to be honest. I know they played in week 16, that was 20 to 9. Week 10 was 16 to 23, and there was really no good fantasy plays that were uh, looking at it from a DFS perspective. Nobody in both of those games snapped, and I would expect the same going into this wild card matchup with these two teams specifically. All right, well, let's uh, dive into our position by position breakdown. And I mean, you hit on it with the Bills, you know, pretty easily being the highest projectable offense from a scoring perspective. I mean, how much negative EV are you building into any lineup that doesn't have Josh Allen? Because I know he's going to be chalk, but it almost seems like the leverage you'd be getting by playing somebody else isn't worth the potential ceiling you're giving up in Josh Allen because the way this Bills team is playing their offense is clicking on every level and they just pass 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 24 7 it's just a dream spot for fantasy points yeah I definitely agree with that and you're giving up a lot of expected value uh, by not playing Josh Allen just in a hypothetical scenario say you play Tom Brady Josh Allen is only $600 more and you're getting a higher ceiling with Josh Allen because he also runs the ball and he's their goal line back right he's he's gonna get you a rushing touchdown more times than not and like you said the Bills are one of the uh, more pass heavier teams this season So Josh Allen at 7,500 is the standout play on this slate. I really have no interest in any other quarterback. (laughs) It's just that simple for me. Um, It's Josh Allen in a majority of my lineups. I'll sprinkle in maybe one or two Tom Brady, maybe one Phillip Rivers if we expect the Colts to be losing in this game and they have to pass to get back in it, which I think is very possible. Just I don't I don't see a ceiling with with a guy like Phillip Rivers or Jared Goff or Alex Smith. I I think Tom Brady has a ceiling, but I'd rather just pay the extra 600. So it's a Josh Allen week again. Makes sense to me. So are you backing off a little bit of your take that you threw in at the end of one of our recent podcasts that the Bills are going to disappoint in the spot that they disappoint when when all the chips are down? (laughs) I mean, they, they could disappoint in this matchup i think the possibility of that is lower than the possibility of them going out there and snapping which i i think is pretty high at home against a colts defense that hasn't been as good as it was earlier in the season so guess i'm kind of rolling back the take a little bit but it wouldn't surprise me at all (laughs) just being around you know buffalo all of our lives and and seeing the bills just disappoint year after year including last year when they lost in the wild card matchup to the texans last season so they could definitely disappoint but josh allen is still the best play on the board this week yep i agree i mean if i'm building 10 lineups i think i've got josh allen in minimum seven maybe Mm -hmm. even more i mean i i 
do think that Brady has the best chance to beat Allen on the week, but that would take a lot of things going right, like Brady throwing four touchdowns and Allen potentially giving up like two rushing touchdowns to Zach Moss or Devin Singletary or something like that. I think in most outcomes, Josh Allen is clearly worth the $600 upgrade off of Tom Brady and the and the chances of, you know, Russell Wilson beating him, I mean, they exist, but the Seahawks really haven't let Russ, Russ cook in that way that they were early in the season. I'm not expecting that to change. And I just don't see the potential there with like guys, like you said, like Alex Smith, who might not even play in this game. It could be Heineke, which is definitely no shot going to be in any of my lineups. Wolford, Goff, I, I don't see it. So yeah, I think it's Allen or Brady for me at quarterback this week. Yeah. And I think that's the safe route to go, especially in single entry or three max tournaments, because all I'm going to be playing personally is tournaments. So mm-hmm. coming at it from a tournament perspective, it's really just Josh Allen or Brady for me. Um, if I'm playing a large field tournament like the Millie Maker, I'll take a shot on a guy like Jared Goff in a, in a perceived good matchup against Seattle. Although they have only given up like 17 points per game over the last six or seven weeks, but they have played bad teams. So that could be a cause of that. And if John Wolford starts at 4,900, I, I would take a shot on him and the large field stuff um, because he does have rushing upside. Like he's a very athletic and mobile quarterback. He had six attempts for 56 yards. So if he starts against Seattle, you have some built in floor with John Wolford. Um, there's not much upside, but then in that scenario, you're kind of hoping that the rest of the, the quarterbacks fail and uh, you're getting John Wolford at what 10% owned and he gets you like 18, 20 points. And then you're, you're kind of set playing him so wouldn't mind taking a chance on him if he starts or Jared Goff but other than that it's Josh Allen or Tom Brady and just speaking on Russell Wilson real quick just a brutal matchup and I have no interest in playing uh the Seahawks this week especially since they aren't letting Russ cook either yeah um, I think that those were some good points about Walford. I mean, he had 13.8 DK points without a touchdown, either rushing or passing. So, I mean, if he gets two touchdowns on top of that, then I guess he has a chance to be the best point per dollar play. But mm-hmm. I don't want to speculate too much on that because I, my inclination is that Jared Goff yeah. is going to be back in this game. So I, I have less interest, I think, in Goff than I would at Walford when you consider price, to be honest. Yeah, you're probably right. At the running back position, I mean, frankly, this is just a terrible slate for running backs. Jonathan Taylor is going to stand out. He's one of the only guys that you're going to actively want to play when you scroll through the player pool. It's kind of a wasteland outside of Jonathan Taylor. But he is going to be the main decision point, I think, in terms of your lineups and the strategy you're going to take, because while he's pretty clearly the most optimal play, he's going to come with by far the most ownership. And I don't know if this is the spot that we play Jonathan Taylor. Like last week, he was a slam dunk with a slate high implied team total and his 14 point favorites. Uh, against a terrible run defense. Now he's on the road against an explosive offense. They're probably going to be playing from behind. They're six and a half point dogs. I I don't know. I think Jonathan Taylor makes sense as a fade at the ownership that we should expect him at. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, especially in large field tournaments. Um, And I think that's important to talk about is just what kind of contest you're playing this weekend. Are you playing the large field stuff where you kind of need that ownership leverage or are you playing just single entry or three max stuff where you could still kind of play Taylor in, you know, two out of the three, but fade him in one? Are you playing the small entry field stuff where there's 400 entries, maybe a larger buy-in? 
and then it'd be kind of stupid to fade him. I think that all goes into consideration whether or not to play Jonathan Taylor because I think he is the best play at running back this week and he's by far the most expensive. So I think there is some value in fading him for all of the reasons that you said, but I still think he's a good play nonetheless. And I think there are some viable running backs. I don't I don't think it's terrible. All right. Well, convince me because I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to think about, you know, building a lineup without Jonathan Taylor and having to select two of these guys. And it makes me want to throw up in my mouth. So, I mean, if you could even name two running backs that you're interested in, that, that'd be really helpful for me. I mean, I'm interested in the three running backs right below them. Chris Carson, Antonio Gibson, Ronald Jones. I think they all have touchdown upside. I think they all have 20 touch upside. Antonio Gibson is 5,700, Chris Carson 59, and Ronald Jones 55. So you're getting you know, some solid running backs at cheap price tags, probably going to be lower owned, obviously, than Jonathan Taylor. But I like all three of them. They're not in that great of matchups, especially Antonio Gibson and Ronald Jones. But the Washington football team doesn't have much talent, and they're going to have to play their talented players. And Antonio Gibson is one of them. So I expect them to get him involved early and often in that game against Tampa Bay. Ronald Jones tough matchup for him but with the injury to Mike Evans he might miss we'll talk about that soon maybe Ronald Jones gets some more touches and he has some goal line upside as well some touchdown upside and same thing with Chris Carson especially if uh, Carlos Hyde is out so I don't mind any of those guys other than those three yeah, it's kind of a wasteland uh, down in the bottom of the running back range. One guy that you didn't mention that I think will be pretty popular is Cam Akers. So, you know, we saw him come back after being a long shot to even play, I would say, last week and immediately get 25 touches, had 21 attempts and four targets, caught all four of them. He, I mean, he may not have been fully healthy. He only averaged 1.6 yards per carry, so he wasn't very efficient, but the workload was good. And the fact that he was so heavily involved in the past game I think bodes well for him and and sort of makes him a little bit more interesting as a potentially game flow independent play at only 5100 it makes sense that the Rams would lean on him with uh some projectably shaky quarterback play this weekend yeah I could definitely see that uh, scenario happening and he he's a fine play at 5100 but we've seen recently in the last season or two that running backs coming off of high ankle sprains are notably more ineffective than they were previous to the high ankle sprains. We saw it with Kamara last season. We saw it with Saquon last season. And it kind of makes me skeptical to play him, um, especially since they did rush him back because they obviously had to win that game last weekend to get into the playoffs. But the price tag is cheap. They'll lean on him in the run game. I just don't know how effective he will be uh, for the Rams on a team with a 19 and a half team total. That makes sense to me. I, I, I have sort of the same issue with Antonio Gibson. And while, yeah, he could stumble his way into two touchdowns, it just seems really unlikely with the 18 and a half uh, point total in a tough matchup against the Bucks, uh mm-hmm. for him. And it makes me really like JD McKissick because this has become extremely predictable in the negative game script. McKissick just gets fed and it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Even in the game that Heineke played, he saw 10 targets in week 16. So I think that McKissick at 4,800 doesn't need a touchdown to get there. He doesn't need to be on a team with a high total. He can rack up 10 catches. And if you get, you know, 18 to 20 points out of McKissick on a slate like this with the running back 
crop that we have, I think that you're kind of sailing to the money with that, honestly. Yeah, I like McKissick a lot, to be honest. I think he's a very good tournament play. He'll obviously have lower ownership than the guys above him. And I also think Naheem Hines is a, is a good play at 4700 so $100 yeah. cheaper. If we project the Colts to be losing in this game, he's going to be on the field over Jonathan Taylor. It's good leverage off of Jonathan Taylor, who's going to be the highest own running back on this three-game slate. So I think Naheem Hines is one of my favorite tournament plays on the board at any position this week. I agree. I mean, he's tremendous leverage, and I didn't really respond to what you said about Ronald Jones, who I think also makes some sense for tournaments just with the massive Bucks team total, and I think he'll probably go under-owned because it's been a little while since we've seen him truly flourish since week 14 when he had the two-target 18, you know, the 20-touch game essentially because... uh yeah, didn't didn't get there against Atlanta and, and missed some weeks in between. So Rojo at fifty five hundred, I think, goes overlooked. Do you have any interest in any of the punt plays? You know, the Bills guys, or I don't know anybody else in that range. Uh, not really. I mean, you could take a shot on one of the Bills running backs. That, that's fine. Uh, Singletary, Zach Moss. They're bowl cheap, but I, I don't know if I would play them in the same lineup as Josh Allen because in that situation, you're kind of hoping that Josh Allen fails while the running backs su- succeed by taking touchdowns away from Josh Allen. I, I would only play them in non-Josh Allen lineups. You know, they they could go off. The, one of the Bills running backs could go off while Josh Allen uh, goes off. That is yeah. definitely in the realm of possibility. But other than that, Nah, I have no interest in Fournette, no interest in Carlos Hyde, no interest in Rashad Penny, who had six touches last week. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think you got to play him in at least one tournament lineup. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to burn that mm-hmm. money. I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to wide receiver. Now, I have a feeling that the primary builds this week, or at least for Saturday, I should say, are going to be four wide receiver builds because the ceilings on these wide receivers are just so much higher, I think, than the running back specifically on this slate. Now, we are still awaiting news on some guys. Mike Evans, it seems like the Bucks are optimistic that he plays, but he did hyperextend his knee, so I don't think that we can guarantee that. Terry McLaurin is questionable. Cole Beasley, I think, is more doubtful than questionable at this time. They called him week to week, which is not a good sign. We also had Stefan Diggs downgraded to a DNP. And he's the highest priced wide receiver at 7,700. And then just from like a DraftKings perspective, like there's some weird stuff going on with the salary. They priced the stone virgin Tyler Lockett above DK Metcalf, which just makes, I mean, absolutely no sense to me. Maybe you can make sense of that. Um, you know, what are your thoughts for the wide receivers on this slate? You know my stance on Tyler Lockett. That dude is a stone beta. So I'm never playing him. <laughs> and the fact that he's priced above DK Metcalf is pretty egregious. So I would probably only consider DK Metcalf for $200 cheaper. Maybe Lockett goes off. Probably not. It's the worst matchup out of any uh, wildcard team for the Seahawks. Rams defense is, is extremely tough. Ramsey will probably shadow DK Metcalf. So I don't even know if I have any interest in any Rams wide receiver. Diggs, he said he's fine, right? So yeah, not worrying too much about the questionable tag. I think he's the best wide receiver play on the slate but you're paying the highest uh, salary at wide receiver for him. But I still think he's a great play. And then I, I think the mid-range is where it gets interesting because then you got the guys like McLaurin, Robert Woods, Antonio Brown, Cooper Cup, Cole Beasley, if he plays, is a stone lock on any short game slate. 
Yeah. Absolute stone lock. So don't even need to discuss Cole because if he's in, I'm jamming him in. These these guys from Cooper Cup to Mike Evans, if he's in, they're all cheap and they're all great wide receivers. And I, I'm not too concerned with the matchup on any of them. I, I guess I can say the same for DK Metcalf. Can't really exclude him. God, I, I think this is where the tournaments are going to be uh, won this weekend with the uh, wide receivers that you choose in the mid-range because I could see McLaurin going off. I could see Woods going off. I could see AB having a great game with no Mike Evans and I could see Cooper Cup going off as well, especially if Jared Goff gets back in there. So yeah, and even a little bit priced up, Chris Godwin at 7K I think is super interesting coming off of only his second game with over 20 DraftKings points in a slate last week. Potentially was helped out by Mike Evans leaving early in that game, but even still Godwin is a guy that we know has a ceiling and if Evans were to some you know somehow miss then i think godwin is a smash at 7k yeah i think godwin would be the second best play on the board if mike evans were to miss but i still think the mid-range is is very loaded and then and then i think there's some cheap options as well that you can go to but definitely this week is a four wide receiver week i might run a couple three running back builds but the wide receivers have higher ceilings in my opinion than the running backs for saturday so I'm going to be focusing on jamming in four wide receivers in tournaments and hopefully get some uh, smash performances out of them. So Yeah, um, and then in terms of like some of the value guys, we have John Brown at 4,700 who came back and was, you know, immediately productive, caught four of his four targets for 72 yards and a touchdown in like a half of gameplay with the Bills last week. He should be fully healthy in this spot and could see more targets with Cole Beasley unlikely to play. And then we've got Gabriel Davis, the ultimate suck out who, you know, just really saved our weeks last week, getting that two for 107 and a touchdown online just shout out to him at 4k i mean he's a big play threat obviously and should be in consideration for josh allen double stacks yeah he's definitely in consideration especially if cole is out if cole is in i don't think gabriel davis is in play but if he's out gabe becomes basically an every down player because they're going to be running three wide receiver sets heavy against the colts so at 4k you're getting you know a 90 percent snap player if cole is out so I, I love Gabe Davis in tournaments if that situation plays out in that way. I think John Brown is a is a good play no matter what at 4,700. He just has the ceiling and the upside to break a slate anytime he touches the field. He just, He's just a deep threat, incredible speed, and, and he's a solid wide receiver as well. And we've seen him have smash games with Josh Allen. Uh, he's kind of had an injury-plagued year this year um and he he's been on the covid list too but this is a spot where i can see him going over 20 plus DraftKings points at only 4700 so the cheap bills wide receivers definitely stand out to me i think another another guy that stands out to me is scotty miller if mike evans is out i would have some interest in him only if mike evans is out he's 3400 so very very cheap but other than that there there's really not many guys i would play uh, below Gabriel Davis at 4K. We haven't talked about T.Y. Hilton. T.Y. Hilton to me is one of the best leverage plays on the slate, sort of in that same vein of Naheem Hines, where I think if we're projecting a game script where Jonathan Taylor doesn't succeed, I think T.Y. Hilton could be that guy. I don't think that he would be shadowed by Trey White at, at this point. I think he'd primarily be running out of the slot and more likely we would see Trey White on like Pittman or something like that, maybe even Pascal, just whoever they have lined up on the outside 
And Hilton has shown an upside, even with, you know, Philip Rivers and the noodle arm and the, the balls that hang in the air for 20 seconds. T.Y. Hilton has still gotten there a couple of times this season. He's only 5K, and we are going to be expecting the Colts to be chasing the Bills in this game. Yeah, I definitely don't mind T.Y. Hilton at all. 5K is a very good price tag for a player that's going to be on the field, what, 95% of the snaps barring injury. And like you said, he's good leverage off of Jonathan Taylor. So I don't mind playing a T.Y. Hill in, in tournaments. It's just like he, he's kind of dusty. And I, I just yeah. hate playing guys like that. He did have a, a pretty good run to end the season, though. Uh, well, not in his last like two or three games, but in the in the prior games before that, he had a 28 and a 25 point game. So he's shown that he does still have a ceiling in 2020 and 2021. Don't mind him at all, but I, I think I would just try and uh, get up to the Cooper Cup range if I'm uh, playing one of those wide receivers. So. That's my take on it. Okay. Moving over to tight end here. Let's just take a second to uh, to shout out Logan Thomas and, you know, give you a little pat on the back because, you know, that was your boy this offseason before anybody even knew who he was, scooping him up in every 18th round of a best ball draft that you could get him in. Joey finished the season as the tight end four in PPR. I mean, that's a smash on ADP. He's 4,900 on DK this week. Yeah, just a stone value in the offseason uh, going going in the 18th round or even undrafted in, in basketball leagues. Um, very predictable, Logan Thomas was. But nonetheless, 4900 this week. Uh, I probably won't play him, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably That's go crazy. cheaper than that because I'm not paying almost 5K for a tight end if the tight end pool is this ugly, which it is. So I'll just play a cheaper guy like Robert Gronkowski or... Higby or Knox or, or whatever. I'm not seeing too many interesting tight end options, to be honest. I, I really have no interest in it, in any of these guys, but we got to play one. So if I had to pick one, I'll probably play Gronk the most. 3,900 cheap. Him and Brady have a connection, which I, I think could be beneficial going into the postseason when you need your, your guys to perform. I, I think he could lean on Gronk and he does have touchdown upside as well. And all of the uh, Bucks skill position guys will get a boost if Mike Evans is out, which I don't know. I don't think he plays because he, he kind of f***ed up his knee and it didn't look too good. I would be absolutely stunned if he plays, which he might, but who yeah. knows? It, it's unfortunate that that game is, uh, you know, late. So we might have to make those decisions ahead of time. But I was kind of shocked to see that there was like so much optimism around him playing. Seems like it would be a tough injury to come back from on a short week back. In terms of tight end, Logan Thomas, I mean, I would have some interest, especially if Terry McLaurin was out. He's shown the capability to just have monster target games. He had 16 and 12 targets in two of the final three games of the season. So just that type of upside, I think is really interesting at 4,900, regardless of your position. It would give him the opportunity to separate as sort of like a, a lighter version of the high price guys that we usually target. Um, 4,900, it's not, not too expensive of a price to go after a guy that we know has a ton of talent and target upside. But I think for the most part, my lineups are going to be constructed just around using the tight end position as like a booster for stacks. Cause primarily I'm going to be playing in the shorter field or the smaller field tournaments. So 
you know, I'm not necessarily looking for the stone nuts, just looking to get correlated outcomes on the offenses that I'm stacking. So, you know, if I'm jamming a bill stack, I might just throw Dawson Knox in there at 3,200, save some value and, you know, potentially get the, get the low owned touchdown there. Same thing, you know, if it's a buck stack, then I'm, I'm right there with you. Go back to old man Gronk at 3,900 and hope for a touchdown. Yeah. And I think that's the way to go in tournaments. I'll probably most likely be doing that too. Just play the tight end that uh, is going to be catching passes from the quarterback that you roster. I think that's the best strategy to employ uh, for this three-game slate. Yeah. Um, Only other thing I'll mention is I think that if you're playing in a very large field, you know, something like the Millie Maker, maybe you could, again, continue to find some leverage off of Jonathan Taylor by hoping for a touchdown or two out of the Colts tight ends. You know, whether that's Mm -hmm. Jack Doyle, Trey Burton, or Mo Alley-Cox, they've all shown upsides at various points this season. Definitely long shots, If but, you know, we're talking about a sub-3K tight end on DraftKings that's just strictly sort of a leverage play uh slash pun yeah in that situation i'd probably uh play jack doyle at 2900 and i definitely agree with what you said um I think easily one of these guys could be in the Millie Maker uh, winning lineup this yeah. weekend. If, mm-hmm. if one of them catches a touchdown, it's very possible. For sure. And and the savings allow you to get Diggs plus Godwin plus whoever else you want. So I think that yep. makes a lot of sense. All right. Let's finish off the show with some of our tournament thoughts. And we're going to ask the same three questions that we ask ourselves on all of these small slate shows. The important questions that we need to answer to get you guys in the green this week. Joey, who is your favorite long shot for these large field tournaments? I'll just say that like a lot of these guys are going to have ownership unless you just play a complete scrub. So it's not really a long shot, but Naheem Hines at 4,700. I mentioned it earlier. I I think he's a smash tournament play this week. Um, He's definitely my favorite tournament running back play on the board. Only 4,700. Great leverage off of Jonathan Taylor. And it allows uh, you to jam in some of the higher priced wide receivers. So if I had to pick one guy, it would be Naheem Hines. And then my second guy, we just talked about him, Gabe Davis. Love him this week if Cole Beasley is out. If not, probably won't play him. But it's looking like uh, Cole is most likely going to be out since the game is on Saturday. So Gabe Davis, Naheem Hines are my guys in tournaments this week. Okay, yep. And for me, my favorite long shot is a guy that I already mentioned, and that's J.D. McKissick. Like I said, you don't really need him to put up a 30-point game or even 25 points at a salary, 4,800. And I just don't see any way whatsoever where the Washington football team isn't playing catch-up for the majority of this game against the Bucks. So I think that it makes a lot of sense to just jam them in there, 4,800, and get get that salary to save. I mean, you could play McKissick and Hines as your two running backs and pay up at every other spot on your roster. I think that that's an interesting construction that won't necessarily be chalky and allows you to, you know, play the good chalk, play Josh Allen, play Steph Diggs, play Chris Godwin, and then mix in some of the mid-range wide receivers to build out your roster. I think that uh, Mm -hmm. that's going to be the primary strategy that I implement this week. Yep. I definitely agree with that. All right. Question number two, how Joey, are you planning to get leverage on the field this week? 
in a week where we only have three games on the slate. Yeah, well, I think we touched on it the whole podcast, but I think the easiest way to get leverage is by fading Taylor for a guy like Naheem Hines or T.Y. Hilton, who should have lower ownership, I would think. Um, Another way is just full-on game stacking one of these games and kind of disregarding. The other two, I love just full-on game stacking the Bills and Colts game, although it is the early game. I think that has the highest shootout potential. Another way, obviously, is you just play one of the other lower-owned games. Um, You could play a Seattle stack or a Ram stack. I don't see many people doing that, to be honest. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I I might throw a Ram stack into a large field tournament, see what happens. I think those are the best ways to get leverage on a three-game slate. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's going to be very easily. Basically, stacking any team other than the Bills will be contrarian. (laughs) And if you're not stacking the Bucks either, if you're stacking any of the other four teams, I mean, God, you've probably got like a 10% stack or less. Um, in any tournament so that's the best way to get it now i don't know if that's good leverage or not i mean i i think that individually like on a micro level good leverage is getting off of jonathan taylor or getting off of stefan diggs in a certain lineup and just playing you know like john brown and gabriel davis and hope that diggs doesn't quite get there as a chalky high price wide receiver which could happen as unlikely as it may be and just and focusing on the other positions but largely i think that because of the way this slate is constructed, I might only be playing uh, the lower field tournaments because I don't feel comfortable with really taking these these long shot shots on these guys this week. It just seems like you're giving up too much. So I think I want to build lineups that are still focused around the good chalk, the Bills offense, and try and get different in, in some smaller senses just within that lineup. Yeah, I think that's the best way to go, to be honest, this week. So, I mean, I, I'll most likely be doing that too, although I do play large field stuff. Um, That's kind of where you have to get crazy, but definitely in the smaller field stuff, play the Bills, play the good chalk, and fade uh, some of the other guys like Jonathan Taylor, uh, Logan Thomas, etc. Very different from the Sunday slate where there are a lot of interesting ways you can go and get different. So we'll talk about that on the other podcast, which you can find in this feed. Joey, the final question for this episode of the podcast, you know, who's going to be the Millie making stack and why is it Josh Allen? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty (laughs) obvious that it's going to be Josh Allen. I don't really see a scenario on Saturday where it's not Josh Allen. Uh, I just don't see the upside with any of the five other teams. And maybe we're wrong, and and maybe it's not Josh Allen to Diggs and maybe two or or one other Bills pass catcher, but I think it is. Um, I think we're both pretty consensus on that. It's going to be Josh Allen to Diggs uh, and one of the other Bills wide receivers, whether that's John Brown, Cole Beasley, Gabe Davis, maybe even triple stack them. We've seen that win a couple times this year, so including with the Bills on a small slate. Yep. Yep. So. It's just so hard to get away from them when their offense is so high-powered and they pass at such an insane rate. There's just there's really uh, no way to get away from it. So, yeah, Bills, I mean, even if Josh Allen is pushing 55 or 60% in tournaments, I still think that you would be better off going overboard on that number than trying to get, get sneaky and go under. I think that mm-hmm. <laughs> you just play Josh Allen. You don't overthink yeah. it this <laughs> week. Yeah, that's a fact. All right, that is going to be it for episode 126, breaking down the Saturday three-game slate on DraftKings. Make sure you check out episode 127 in your podcast feed now, where we break down the three-game Sunday slate as well. 
Like Joey said at the top of the show, you can support us in a couple of free and easy ways, namely supporting the YouTube channel. We're almost at 160 subscribers, so help us get there. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that's Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. You can follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I am at Ben Hover, B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R. Joey, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Joey Carrion, DFS. All right. Good luck on the first playoff slate, and we will talk to you guys again soon.